Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast for Friday, June 24th. Rabina Ahmed Hawk was in for Greg Brady, and on today's show, she spoke with Julie Lalonde, women's rights advocate and public educator about bystander intervention regarding domestic violence. She also talked economic outlook for Toronto and the GTA with Gareth Watson, wealth advisor, and she welcomed executive director of Pride Toronto, Sherwin Modest. Thank you for listening, and Toronto Today starts now. Uh, I wanted to uh, talk about a story, a pretty serious story. A coroner's inquest is examining the deaths of three women killed by their former partner uh, back in September 2015 in the Ottawa Valley. And it's looking at ways to protect victims of intimate partner violence, particularly in rural communities where they may not have the resources uh, to help themselves uh, because they're they're in those rural communities. The emphasis has really been on the importance for victims of intimate partner violence to have access to, to resources like women's shelters, support from neighbors and friends and community members. It's called bystander intervention. And my next guest explains how crucial this is to helping women facing domestic violence situations. Julie Lalonde is a women's rights activist and public educator, and she's been speaking at the inquest. She joins me now. Hi, Julie. Hi. Good morning. Um, I wanted to start by asking you, what is bystander intervention? So bystander intervention is a form of violence prevention where we encourage witnesses, people who are seeing things directly in front of them, but also people who are hearing about it after the fact to get involved. Um, And it's really born from the belief that community can change the world, that we can look out for each other, whether we're talking about intimate partner violence or anti-Asian racism or Islamophobia or homophobia. Uh, It's really the belief that if we are equipped to be able to look out for each other, that we can actually make a significant difference in rates of violence in our community. And how can we do that? Because we're all guilty of that, where we see something where we think, should I ask if they're okay? Should I make sure that everything is, you know, if they need my help, I could I could easily pull over the car or stop walking or give them a phone call if I feel like something is wrong. How can we help support this so that more people step up when they see something uh, that doesn't look right? So there's a phenomenon known as the bystander effect, which is the idea that when there's a crowd of people around, we do what's called the diffusion of responsibility. So we all look to each other and think, oh, there's 10 people here. There's 10 people who can get involved, but then none of us get involved. But that's not actually sort of innate to being a human being. It's just how we're socialized. We just sort of freeze momentarily and then we think, oh, I'm not the right person. Uh, It's too scary for me. Uh, I'm just going to make it worse. And so the core of bystander intervention is is skills, but really it's about confidence, about really getting people to understand that, no, you can do something, and that intervention is much more than just a direct confrontation with the harasser. There's actually a whole litany of things that people can do that are non-confrontational and still really, really effective. And I think when people know there's actually a full toolbox, then they think, okay, yeah, I can do something because it doesn't mean I got to get into a fight today. It might mean I'm just going to go up to a stranger and ask them for directions. And in doing that, I'm actually breaking the tension between the harasser and the target and giving the target of the harassment an opportunity to answer my question and then focus on me instead of the person that's harassing them or use that split second where I broke the tension to flee the situation, which is ultimately the result that we want, right? We're trying to extract people from scary situations. Talk to me a little bit about um, if you do uh, see something happening and you do something like that, you go up and ask for directions or you just go up and make yourself known that you are there and the person that is uh, in danger is 
is can, could could ask you for help if if needed. So, what happens next? I mean, that person may be in a domestic violence situation where they go home and that violence continues. Is there anything you can do next? I mean, it's one thing to be a bystander, but it's another to be um, to to be a neighbor that knows that uh, this is going on on a repeated basis. Is is there any way that um, to, to help those people beyond just intervening in that acute moment? Yeah, and that's a really great question because that's what we want to see is people building up these sort of long-term relationships with their neighbors, with their friends, with their colleagues, where we're making it known that we're looking out for each other, especially in the context of the pandemic when it's so easy to hide what you're actually going through. And so um, my advice to people who are concerned about someone where they're, they've witnessed things or they're seeing red flags that, hey, this might be a really dangerous situation, um, is to really remember the phrase, I see, I feel. Um, and so saying, you know, I see that your personality seems to have changed since, you know, you started dating this person, or I see that you're not out and about in the community as you used to be, or the light's gone out in your eyes, and I feel very sad about it. I feel like I'm concerned about you. I'm worried about you. Um, and I just wanted you to know that. And the reason why I see I feel is really effective is because you're not coming at it from a place of judgment, which is what a lot of victims of domestic violence feel. They feel like, oh, people think that this means I'm stupid, that I'm weak, uh, that I'm a coward. And so to have someone say, hey, I'm not here to say like, what are you doing? This guy's a loser. You know, I'm just saying, I'm noticing things that have me really concerned about you and your safety because you deserve to be in a, in a relationship where you're respected, where you get to be yourself, et cetera. So I see, I feel is a really great way to open a door and that if that person's not yet ready to get that help, if they're not ready to leave, they certainly know who they can contact when they are ready. And it's those long-term sort of commitments where we're invested in each other, we're looking out for each other. That's really what's going to make a difference. Julie, tell me a little bit about the inquest that's going on right now to these three women that were killed uh, on in September 2015, um, what you've been saying and, and recommending. So the inquest actually ends today, um, and so we're hoping that very soon the jury will start making some really concrete recommendations to the province. But it was uh, you know three weeks of really grueling, powerful testimony of folks who everything from you know the role of probation and parole and how they let this guy out and how he, you know, breached his conditions and wasn't held accountable to things like bystander intervention. Like people knew this man was dangerous. They knew he was stalking the, his ex-girlfriend, but they just didn't know what to do. And so when I testified, that was really my role is talking about stalking in particular and bystanders and how so often people see this stuff and they know it's wrong, but they're just really stuck on what to do. Um, and so my hope is that that message resonated with the jury and that we're going to see some really strong recommendations where the province is going to invest in this kind of training. I mean, I do bystander intervention training with youth as young as three years old. Like if we can teach three to 10 year olds how to intervene, if they see someone being bullied or they see someone being isolated at school, then there's no reason why we can't have this conversation with fully fledged adults who have more capacity for nuance. Um, in this discussion. 
And to give listeners some context uh, on the three women that were killed September 22nd, 2015, uh, it was uh, two women that he knew. uh, They were uh, uh, intimate partners of his, ex-partners of his, and one that he was stalking um, and all killed uh, on the same day and all in the Renfrew County area. And this is a person that uh, was known to have a history of gender-based violence and um, someone that was already on people's radar um, and should not have been even had access to these women. Um, so sort of to your point again, you know, uh, we need to have more uh, checks in place of people who are likely to offend, that they're not out um, having access to the people that they are more likely to uh, to um, to hurt and in this case uh, kill. Uh, Julie, um, I wanted to speak s- specifically a little bit about uh, what's happening. You know, uh, when it comes to services, what are services that women can access, uh, especially in a city like Toronto, um, if they are in a situation where they're being abused and they want to somehow find help. So people in urban areas, especially in the greater Toronto area, do have access to a number of services. Uh, And it's also important to know that, you know, yes, there are sexual assault centers and there are shelters, but you can call a shelter even if you're not looking for housing, even if you're just looking to safety plan. You want to leave an abusive situation, but you have children or they have your passport or, you know, they pay the rent, like whatever your context is, you can call a shelter to get advice. Also, if you're a bystander, like if you're worried about your sister, your neighbor, a colleague, someone from your book club, like you can call uh, places like the Assaulted Women's Helpline, which is a provincial helpline in Ontario, completely anonymous. And you can just say, hey, I'm really worried about my friend and I don't know how to support them. I don't know what services are available. Can you just help me plan this person's escape? Uh, There's lots of great services, but often people think, oh, it's not serious enough for me to call them. Or they really think, oh, you can't call these numbers unless you're leaving imminently. Um, And that's a huge myth that we're hoping to dispel in the context of this conversation. Call your shelter and safety plan before you leave. And if you're a bystander, make sure you understand that safety planning is so important. Like just telling a woman you have to leave right now, if she doesn't have her documents in a row, if she doesn't feel safe in going somewhere, if she doesn't have somewhere to go, um, then she's not going to leave. Um, and so it's really important to to really plan because we know that the days and weeks and months after leaving an abuser is actually the most dangerous time to be a victim of intimate partner violence. So we really have to make sure that we, we plan accordingly. Julie, thank you so much uh, for this conversation and for the work that you do. I've been following you for many, many years and uh, uh, it, it's honorable, the kind of work that you do and the, the kind of awareness that you're bringing that uh, we can all help, uh, whether we are uh, a bystander or a neighbor or just even if we don't know anybody that's in a domestic violence or uh, a, a situation that we can all help by just raising awareness of what we could do if we see something that doesn't doesn't look like it's right. Thanks, Julie. Thanks so much. That's Julie Lalonde. She's a women's rights activist and public educator. Um, she's been speaking at a coroner's inquest that's examining the deaths of three women that were killed in September 2015 on the same day in the Ottawa Valley. Uh, the man who killed these women, he knew two of them. They were ex-partners of his, and one was a woman that he was stalking. Uh, so they're now looking at ways that uh, this can never happen again, how women uh, who are in uh, situations where uh, if, if there's someone that is released 
uh, that they don't have access to the pe- to people that are more likely to be uh, hurt by them. Uh, so some recommendations are going to be made once that inquest closes uh, today uh, as to how we can keep uh, women in domestic violence situations safe. Uh, the pandemic has been really tough on businesses across the globe in Canada and here in Toronto. Uh, our city brings in about $10 billion in tourism, uh, tourism dollars every single year. 2019, that was the number. And that plummeted uh, to just over $2 billion in 2020. And we lost uh, another $5 billion in 2021. Um, and the what? who has suffered? Toronto businesses. More than 3,000 Toronto businesses uh, between 2020 and 2021 uh, were lost in the city, according to the city's annual employment survey, uh, because of the lack of foot traffic. People aren't coming into the city. People aren't attending the events. People are not spending money. And those businesses simply could not survive. Uh, to talk a little bit about this and also how inflation, the cost of living, the cost of everything, is affecting Toronto's economy, the GTA's economy. I wanted to bring in Gareth Watson. He's a wealth advisor and portfolio manager with Richardson Wealth. Hi, Gareth. Welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for getting up early-ish for us. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, all good. <laughs> Gareth, I wanted to ask you, um, how badly has Toronto been hurt by the pandemic restrictions when it comes to... Um, our economy, and when it comes to small businesses? I mean, I can't sugarcoat the fact that it's been extremely difficult, particularly for those businesses in the downtown core. Uh, not, not that the ones outside the core were spared in any way, shape, or form, but uh, if anyone walked the PATH network during the pandemic, it, it, it was de- deathly quiet down there. You, you, I mean, there, as you said, there was no foot traffic. You just wondered for those businesses that somehow did open how they were even making rent, quite frankly. And chances are they weren't. Um, now, after a couple of years, I've uh, been down in the path of, you know, a few times over the past couple of months. And I've noticed, as you said, businesses have gone uh, that were there for a very long time. Now, some are starting to be replaced by others. And foot traffic is starting to pick up, but it's still nowhere where it used to be prior to the pandemic. And I think um, you know, it's quite likely that we probably won't see things really start to pick up until the fall, only because we're now into summer and people are taking holidays and they're going to their cottages. And unfortunately, I, I don't think the foot traffic uh, in the underground, at least, will necessarily return to pre-pandemic levels. Um, but we are starting to see a little bit of activity in the above ground business, uh, mainly in you know food and entertainment. Uh, so it's slowly coming back. But without a doubt, there, there's a huge hit to the Toronto economy. There's no question about it. According to Gareth, the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, 80% of all Toronto businesses aren't fully recovered yet. Uh, 29% haven't even started to recover and worry that they're never going to get back to where they were pre-pandemic. And they have $280,000 in average COVID-19 debt. This weekend is the first uh, weekend of a big festival, Pride, coming back in person. How important are these festivals um, and these, these, uh, these in-person events uh, for small businesses uh, that are located on many of our major streets in Toronto? Oh, I think they're absolutely huge. Uh, when you have people coming from all over the world to Toronto, which people do, um, and you have people that want to travel now, people that want to get out, um, you want to capture as much of that activity as you possibly can. So the fact that we haven't had these festivals for a couple of years, I'm sure has just been, it's been huge to these businesses. Um, I mean, think of, you know, Case of the Danforth, well, what that's done to businesses uh, over the years, just on the Danforth alone, and the fact that it hasn't been there, they'll be very thankful to have it back. 
the foot traffic it generates is massive. I mean, I, I don't know what the stats are going to be this year at all. I have absolutely no clue. But without a doubt, people are coming to Toronto for pride. Uh, and they're going to spend, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you're here to party if you're here for pride. So you're going to spend, you know, hundreds of dollars is my guess. Mm-hmm. And the Toronto economy needs that. So these festivals, without a doubt, are, are just massive to the Toronto economy overall. Yeah, Church Street businesses are saying they're looking to climb out of the hole that's been caused by the pandemic, that $280,000 debt hole that many, on average, that many are facing. Um, inflation is also an um, uh, uh, issue. Uh, things are costing more uh, it's for businesses and for individuals. Um, how does that play into uh, Toronto's economic recovery, especially when it comes to uh, bringing tourists back into the city? Is, is it a deterrent uh, because things are just so expensive now? Uh, well, I can't say it helped, put it that way. It, it certainly is going to make people think uh, twice about certain things. For example, driving. Um, we all know about the cost of gasoline. I don't think I need to tell the audience about that. But whether you drive into Toronto for the day, you're probably not going to think about it too much. But if you come in quite often, uh, it starts to add up over time. So, of course, there's public transit. You can use other options to get into the city. Um, If you're a business uh, and you have some type of variable debt that you've taken out, uh, a line of credit of some description, um, those costs could go up because lending costs are going higher. The Bank of Canada is not done yet. They're going to continue raising rates. I would not be stunned if you see another 200 basis points worth of increases in 2022 alone. Uh, The prime rate right now, I think, is about 3.7%. That could easily go up to 5.7%. And of course, mortgages are based off of that. So, I mean, I, I I could go on and on about how the costs of things in general could go up. And right now, maybe, uh, you know, Canadians aren't putting too much thought into it. They're just recognizing the costs are higher. But if it persists for a very long time, which in some cases it might, others is a bit more cyclical, then you will start to see a bit of a change of behavior. But one stat that I heard that was really interesting to me was pre-pandemic, Canadians were sitting on a cushion of about $80 billion of cash. That number now since the pandemic is up to $320 billion. Mm. So there is a cushion there, uh, admittedly not for all Canadians. This is probably more for middle to, to higher income families. And Those not have for been able to keep families. their jobs as well during the pandemic. Exactly. That I mean, there is a cushion there, but... Once you start digging into that and, and some of these higher costs, particularly on food, which I think is going to unfortunately be a, a big issue here for not just this year, but going into next and maybe even the one after that, uh, it'll start picking away at that cushion and people will start thinking about what they're doing a little bit more. Gareth Watson is a wealth advisor and portfolio manager with Richardson Wealth. Uh, Gareth, uh, we get uh, um, uh, the next announcement from the Bank of Canada in July. Uh, mm-hmm. There is probably a 50 basis point guaranteed hike. Some are thinking 75 basis points to match what um, the U.S. Federal Reserve did. But I'm also reading about a one percentage point hike. What are you forecasting uh, for the next uh, announcement? Well, I personally don't do any uh, official forecasts of any nature, but... um, How about what are you thinking? What are you thinking? How are you advising your clients? (laughs) No, exactly. I I was just going to say, though, even though I don't do an official forecast, what, what Canadians in general just have to realize is whether it's 50, 75, or 100, it's going higher. And, and not only in July, but in September, in October, and probably December, which is the next four uh, meeting dates for the Bank of Canada. So I know we like to, to, to get into the minutia and parse numbers and, 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 and try and give exact figures to people. But what you really got to focus on right now is the trend, and the trend is higher for longer. Uh, for, for, 
when it used to be lower for longer, which is what we talked about for years, mm-hmm. and noting that this this day of, of of rising interest rates would come at some point, well, it's here and it's not going away and it's going to continue to go up. So could it be one? I, I You can't rule it out. I think it might be 75. I wouldn't be surprised if the Bank of Canada just follows the lead of the Federal Reserve in the United States. And especially due to the inflation numbers we had this week out of Canada, which were extremely high, it was 7.7%. Um, the Bank of Canada can't ignore that. They have to be more aggressive. Uh, and you're going to see them do that, I think, for sure. Uh, you know, I, I do think 75 is probably the number uh, for, for July. Um, and then possibly a couple of 50s after that, maybe a 25 in December or 50. It'll just depend on, on what the information is telling uh, central bankers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very good advice. Money's getting more expensive, so prepare for it. Uh, if you've got a lot of debt, make those lump sum payments. Don't take on more debt. Uh, try to cut back now before uh, money gets more expensive and you have to make more dramatic changes to your lifestyle in order to afford your life. Uh, Gareth, thank you so much for joining us, uh, for breaking down what uh, higher inflation, interest rates, everything means to the city of Toronto and how all these festivals coming back to the city are going to help, especially those small businesses who have been reeling for the last couple of years. My pleasure. That's Gareth Watson. He's a wealth advisor and portfolio manager with Richardson Wealth. We were talking about how uh, rising inflation and rising interest rates are affecting Toronto's economy. We're going to talk about a story about Pride, about Pride Weekend, because finally it is back in person after two years because of COVID-19. And I myself could not be more excited Uh, finally, the city is buzzing again with people, with people from outside of the city coming in. Uh, You know, it's great uh, to stay at home. I think in the beginning, everyone loved a little bit of alone time at home. Uh, But I'm really just busting to get out and do something with my family, with my friends. And Pride is always the best way to kick off the summer. It's the first event after the official start of summer. And it always is a hot one. And it's always one that gets you into that summer mood. Sherman Modest is the executive director of Pride Toronto. He joins us now. Welcome to the program, Sherman. Happy Pride. Happy Pride. Sorry, happy Pride, Rubina. Oh, it almost sounds like you're crying, Sherman. Are you so happy that it's back? <laughs> the excitement. It's the excitement. I am just, I'm bubbling with joy this morning. It's Friday. It is, you know, our first stages are opening tonight and we're just really excited. It is going to be a fantastic weekend. Breakdown. Let's start with Friday. What's happening today? If we really want to get out there and show our pride, what can we do today in the city uh, when it comes to Pride Weekend? Sure. So today, Friday, it is actually one of the most important day for me in the Pride movement because today we're going to be kicking off the trans rally, the rally that started Pride, the protest of Pride. It's going to be today at 7 p.m. And we're looking forward to having everyone. But we're also going to be bringing the city on fire with our one of our headliners, uh, dancehall artists from Jamaica, Spice. Spice is going to let the city on fire. And we're just really excited. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is going to be a hot weekend, which is always good for Pride, uh, considering there's so many outdoor events. I mean, you don't want it to be cold and rainy, that's for sure. Um, Another part of this uh, that is really important to mention is all the businesses along Church Street, which really have been starved of all that foot traffic. Um, What are you expecting for them as this this event returns to the city? Again, um, you know, post-pandemic, Pride Toronto has been one of the largest economic driver 
in terms of festival in the city of Toronto. And we're happy. We're happy to bring that business back to the queer community. Many queer owned and operated businesses got hit really hard by the pandemic. So Pride Toronto's kicking off, you know, that economic rebirth of the city. We're happy. And I know, I mean, there's no hotel rooms in the city of Toronto right now. So folks, you know, it's the place to be. It is the place to be. Sherman Modest is the executive director of Pride Toronto. We're talking about um, the first uh, in-person Pride happening after two years. Um, there are some uh, security um, uh, concerns. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what those concerns are and what the festival is doing uh, to keep our LGBTQ uh, plus community safe. Yes, yes. No, definitely, Rubina. And again, I want to stress to everyone that, you know, queer lives matter. You know, minority lives matter. Black lives matter. Brown lives matter. And what we're doing at Pride Toronto, we take the threats that has been made to several, several members of our community very serious. Hence, we have decided to add some additional steps, which is security ones, that will be used at our staging area for folks that are coming in. Um, again, it's, it's a precaution that we think it's really important because of the increase in the, the threats that has been made to our community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's so important. That is a, a major uh, concern. Uh, and I'm, I, I, I pray that everything goes off without any kind of... Uh, uh, violence or any kind of threat, uh, and that this is just a beautiful event as we have witnessed in so many years uh, past. Um, one event, uh, Sherwin, that I wanted to mention that isn't getting <laughs> the, the same luck as Pride is Taste of the Danforth being cancelled. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Another major festival in the city uh, being cancelled. Obviously, the businesses along the Danforth are going to suffer. I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that, considering um, you know we're going into Pride Weekend and, and, and celebrating this first in-person event and lucky enough to have it in person, but Taste of the Danforth no longer, at least for 2022. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, and we're we're, we're sympathize and you know understand the decision of the taste of the Danforth um, governing committee. One of the things we've had our challenges also, um, but you know we've been successful in working with the BIAs to ensure that the Pride Festival and Cafe Tio can merge well together. And I have to say, the team both at the Pride Office, the City of Toronto and the BIAs have really worked well together to be able to make sure that we all complement each other. So I think definitely other festivals will be able to use the success of Pride Toronto to be able to work their festivals into the Cafe Tio model. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is the 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 big uh, the big hurdle, right? Is to to work with these um, new uh, events that are happening because of the pandemic. Cafe Tio, Active Tio, all these different events that were born out of the pandemic. How we can merge them now into the the older festivals that have been around uh, from before the pandemic, because there are benefits to both, right? There are benefits to Definitely. both of those. Uh, those happening. Um, round it out for us. Um, what else can we expect from Pride uh, this weekend um, if people are out? Uh, looks like you can't get a hotel room, but maybe someone just coming in from outside of the city uh, wanting to spend some time in Toronto. What can we expect to see uh, over the weekend? No, definitely. And again, I just want to say that there are many new 
pitches to Pride this year. We're adding attendant care. So if you're a person with a disability and you need some additional support to enjoy the festival, please check out our website. If you're hearing impaired and you need to enjoy the festival, there is information on the different stages and how you can participate. If this is your first Pride, we've catered just for you, that you can come out and, and tell us it's your first Pride and have a real experience. I wanna give a big shout out to all of our curators who have gone above and beyond. Over 13 curators in the city of Toronto that is bringing in over 300 local Toronto artists to our stages. Robina, it's going to be an amazing weekend. And again, just wanna encourage everyone to come down. If you don't need a bag, leave the bag at home and let's just have a good time. And I wanna wish everyone happy pride. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Pride. I wanted to get in just a, another question to you, uh, Sherwin, because it is such a big weekend. Um, you, if, if Like you, you mentioned, if you're a first-time party reveler, first Pride, what would you say is a must-do this weekend? If you could only do one thing, what's a must-do this weekend? Oh, have mercy. Oh, this I is, haven't putting you on the spot. <laughs> I'm going to get you in trouble. You're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> but folks, you know, whether it is Blocko, whether it's Yellow Barra, whether it's the drag, the, the our drag ball, there are Young and Dundas, Wellesley Stage, Central Stage. There is something for everyone. I don't want to tell you which one to go to because I will be going to spend at least five minutes at all. So definitely there is something for everyone. Now, I have to do a PSA here. Got to get sunscreen. Got to wear that hat. Got to get some water. I mean, people do like to uh, indulge on the festival yes. weekend, yes. but absolutely be coupling it with some water because in the heat, you know, if you're especially if you're drinking alcohol, uh, you can get dehydrated super duper quick. And we're not used to it anymore. We're not used to being out and being with, you know, our fellow Torontonians, people coming in from outside of the city. I think, especially for me, I get really excited and forget about all those things that I know oh. I need to do. So some PSA yes. just to make sure everyone stays safe and healthy and, and definitely i will add to that that if you do not have sunscreen we will be distributing sunscreen at our welcome centers so please pop by at our welcome centers for sunscreen and water is free Folks, beautiful you don't need to bring a bottle of water water is free complements of flow water so please don't worry about it come have a good time and have water on us <laughs> And not just the water guns. It's water you can drink out of the water <laughs> bottles. Absolutely. Um, uh, those welcome centers, is there locations where they are that people know where to go? Yes. One will be at very close to the Wellesley subway station. And the second one will be close to college and church. Very nice. College that's that's a really great add-on because a lot of people, especially if you're coming with your kids, um, you know, you. I know when my daughter says she's thirsty, it's like, she needs water now. She needs it right away. She does not have any patience. So if you're, especially if you're coming with kids, it's great to know that you can go somewhere and get uh, immediate water and for free. Cause sometimes, you know, it's really sucks to pay five bucks for a bottle of water. So it's really, really exactly. great. Sherwin that you guys are doing that. Uh, Sherman Modest is the executive director of Pride Toronto. Sherwin, thank you so much. Happy Pride. Have a wonderful, wonderful weekend and Pride congratulations to the, to the event and being back in person. Awesome. Thank you. And Happy Pride to everyone and looking forward.
Yes, absolutely. Uh, that was Sherwin Modest. He's the executive director of Pride Toronto, which is happening this weekend across the city. Festivities start today, Friday. So get out there all weekend long. It's going to be hot, free water, free sunscreen, and not just the ones from the water guns. You can actually get the water bottles. So frustrating, right? When my daughter asks for water and I got to go pay four bucks for a bottle of water because I forgot to bring her her thermos. I always really, really don't like that. Thank you for listening to the Toronto Today podcast. Greg Brady will return on Monday for a live show from 5.30 to 9 on 6.40 Toronto. Have a great weekend.